flourishing families with Dr. Daughter Blatt, the switched-on kids chiropractor, and her passionate friends, sharing the secrets of inspiring wellness to help your families thrive. Welcome, Arlene. I've got Arlene Ladies with us today from Complete Pelvic Floor Physiotherapy in Katara, and I'm very excited to, uh, to have a chat to you about what you do. Thank you. Uh, so I'm a continence and pelvic floor physiotherapist and own Complete Pelvic Floor Physiotherapy. Uh, we treat a whole bunch of people, but a lot of what we see are new mums or expectant mums during pregnancy. And uh, what we do is do a full assessment with them that takes about an hour. And in that assessment, we're looking at their bladder and bowel function, whether or not they have any signs or symptoms of prolapse and then after we assess them sit down with them discuss what we think would be appropriate treatment and discuss it and see if the patients are happy with that and then proceed forward with treatment so you say if they have signs and symptoms of prolapse what what is a prolapse so prolapse is where one of the pelvic organs is not well supported so that could be the bladder the bowel or the uterus can be one, two or three of the organs and typically the symptoms that most women would experience would be symptoms of dragging or heaviness in their pelvis. Uh, when they wipe underneath they might physically feel or see a lump or a bulge. It might be a sense that it feels like something sort of there or that something feels like it's falling out. In some patients they can also have trouble emptying their bladder and bowel properly um, and they may experience some pain with intercourse. Right, so that doesn't sound very good. I take it that that's not the most common uh, issue with women coming in? Um, it is actually very common. So in most cases, most women who've had a vaginal delivery have the lowest grade of prolapse um, and often aren't aware of it. Um, so the lowest grade of prolapse is a grade one and it can often mean that you have no symptoms from it, but there's just been that slight movement of organs. So it is actually very common. It's very common after vaginal delivery. Uh, it's also very common in women who um, cough and strain a lot. So they might have constipation or they might have a job where they're doing a lot of heavy lifting especially in the cases of mums where they're looking after, say, a disabled child and having to do lots of lifting, transfer and care for them. Yeah. Uh, so what would, uh, what would the cause be? You, you say, obviously, vaginal delivery, but what, what are the structures that are yeah. causing this? So what usually holds the organs in place are the pelvic floor muscles, the ligaments and fascia. So fascia, if you've ever had a piece of corn silver side and it's raw and you see that shiny silver stuff on, on the meat, that's fascia. And we have that in all of our body, but it's a bit like lycra in a swimming costume. So as it age or is under strain because of, say, vaginal delivery or repeated straining with constipation, it loosens. So the ligaments and fascia can loosen with aging or trauma or damage like a vaginal delivery and um, those structures can't be strengthened so the only structure there that then helps to support the organs is the pelvic floor muscles which we can then try and strengthen them to improve the prolapse. Okay, can you explain to me uh, with regards to the strength of the pelvic floor muscles? Um, I, I hear a lot uh, sort of the difference between the tone and strength. So um, strength is usually rated on a zero to five point rating scale where zero means the muscle is not working at all and five is it's perfect. 
the International Continent Society have brought in a new rating scale for muscle strength where they've rated it as um, absent, weak or normal. Um, and with regards to tone, there's no actual definitive um, objective measure that we have for that so it's sort of like well does it feel like it's a bit more loose or does it feel like it's a bit more tight there's nothing definitive for us to be able to define tone with so they are two different things right okay and can the so you're talking again about pelvic floor do, do we have issues where the pelvic floor is actually too tight yes uh, so in some instances women do present with muscles that are too tight and the symptoms that they will usually have from that is that they have trouble emptying their bladder and bowel properly because the urethra and the anal canal are not opening wide enough um, to empty properly but the most common um, symptom women present with is actually sexual pain um, and so they may have, have trouble with um, pain or penetration um, but overactive pelvic floor muscles are usually the cause of that. Yeah. And how do they get overactive? So it can be that there's been actual trauma to the area so in the case of new mums it can be a vaginal delivery or they've had an episiotomy um, it can in some cases unfortunately be due to trauma due to sexual assault um, for other people um, they have a holding posture so they're always pulling in their tummy they're always keeping everything tight and over time that then becomes an issue so just overusing it can be the case um, keeping it tight when it doesn't necessarily need to be working yeah uh, so obviously in, in my field as, as a chiropractor working with, with lots of kids and lots of mums we see we hear it frequently that, that mums are complaining that, oh, oops, it's not quite as strong as it used to be and, you know, I was a little bit late, you know, didn't make it to the toilet or I was laughing so hard I wet myself. Yeah. Um, where does that fit into to your practice? So it's a big portion of our practice. Um, so one in three women who've ever had a baby um, will usually wet themselves. And some of the other statistics are that um, they have done a study looking at GP waiting rooms um, where you may have presented for a sore toe, but you were still given a questionnaire. And so from that study, it showed that about 65% of women sitting in a GP waiting room have similar symptoms to what you're describing. So yes, but the more outrageous part of it is, is that of those 65%, less than 31% actually seek help. So we know that for women this can be a very taboo subject but we know it's also very common so um, what has often happened is um, the leak with the cough and sneeze is what we call stress urinary incontinence and it's not because you're stressed it's because the bladder and the pelvic floor muscles are placed under stress and they can't tolerate that and there's some leak so that most often happens with an increase in pressure in the abdomen like coughing sneezing running and jumping and then the other type of incontinence you were describing was the urgency so when you've got to get there you've got to get there quickly and what a lot of women experience is that as soon as they get to the front door and put the key in the door, as soon as they put the shower on or as soon as they, um, you know, see or think about a toilet, they've desperately got to get there. And so what we can do is use pelvic floor strengthening exercises and what we call bladder retraining to try and retrain how the brain and the muscles work to overcome those symptoms. So, so what would you think is that link between um, sticking the key in the front door and... 
So it is a little bit of the brain playing tricks with the bladder um, and vice versa. So it can be a sensory association um, and it's very similar to when women say put their hands in cold water and they need to go. So um, it's, yes, like I said, it's usually a sensory association or it's become a little bit of an association or a psychological habit, you know, that they then get anxious thinking, last time I nearly wet myself at the door, I hope I don't do that. And so the anxiety then drives the need to go to the toilet as well. Yeah, and are you working with the anxiety as well? Yeah, we do. So we do a lot of charting with patients so that we can see how they compare to baseline or what's considered normal. And then from there, that's how we decide upon their treatment. But certainly um, we have some screening tools as well that can show whether or not anxiety is a contributing factor to it. And then how do we address that um, then becomes the question. And we have some strategies to do that as well. Oh, good. Uh, so is it, so you say 65% of women, uh, is there a particular age um, uh, distribution? No, so it's not necessarily a condition of old age. So we know that in elite um, female athletes at a college or university level, the levels of incontinence are actually very quite high as well. And these um, women uh, haven't had vaginal deliveries. Uh, they haven't had, you know, years of heavy lifting or the years of constipation. So it isn't limited to women of old age. And, um, you know, we see teenagers with these problems as well. So it really is quite across the age span. But there was a study that looked over a three-month period of women um, who were aged 45 to 49, and more than 50% of them actually experienced um, some form of incontinence. Right. So do you find, let's just say that you're not that uh, you know, athlete, you are just a normal, average, I was going to say Joe Blow, Josephine Blow, uh, is, the, is it more common that as we get older and maybe lose that little bit of uh, muscle tone? Yes, so um, certainly the incidence changes in what type of incontinence it is. So initially it can be stress incontinence that's due to damage to the muscles, but then we start to see more urgency starting to occur. And it's a variety of things that occur with aging. So with aging, you get a change in estrogen levels and the pelvic floor muscles are very dependent on estrogen to work. So you may see that menopausal change um, occurring and some changes there. And then there's just the normal age-related changes that occur with muscles as well. So they become less strong, they have less fibers, the nerve input to the muscle is not as good. But having said that, you know, I've treated women well into their 90s and still had improvement. As long as the muscle works, you can, with a really structured, well um, balanced exercise program, get some improvement in their muscle tone and muscle control and muscle strength, and then consequently improvement in their symptoms. Uh, so you mentioned brain and nervous system a couple of times. You obviously talked about the, the muscles and the, the tendons and the fascia. Yes. Uh, what's the role of the brain and the, the nervous system? So um, in order for muscles to work, you need the nerve to go to it to make the muscle to tighten. So that's the first thing. But what you also need when it comes to bladder and bowel control is you need the correct message going from the bladder to the brain to say, you know, I'm filling up, think about going to the toilet. 
then when the message gets to the brain, the brain then has to be able to understand what to do with that information. So do you hold on? Do you need to go to the toilet straight away? So obviously any conditions that affect the brain affect our decision-making going to the toilet. So for example, um, patients who have um, dementia, for instance, don't necessarily make the right decision-making in going to the toilet and when to go. Um, if patients have had strokes, um, then that also will affect their ability to make that decision-making or act upon the decision appropriately. Um, so then once the decision is made as to whether or not to go to the toilet or not, then the message has to come down through a different nervous system back to the bladder and the muscles as to what it should be doing. So should the muscles be working harder to try and hold on longer or is the decision made to go to the toilet where then the nerves that control the muscles have to relax but the nerves that make the bladder contract to make it empty then have to work. So there's over 35 different reflexes that actually control your ability to be continent of both your bladder and bowel. So the nervous system is vital in this whole system of it working effectively. Okay, but so you were talking reflex there's meaning subconscious rather than Correct. conscious decisions. Yes, right. yeah, uh, both, both. So yeah. a combination of both. Yes. Okay. Um, how does that fit with uh, younger? Uh, so if we we go away from from the mums and, and pregnancy, but if we look at the younger population, so looking at kids with bedwetting or, or yeah. even daytime bladder or bowel yeah. accidents. So with regards to bedwetting, it's often a mechanism of a few things. So often um, children who are bedwetters don't have a very good bladder capacity, so their bladder actually can't stretch to hold enough overnight. Sometimes they have what's called an overactive bladder, so um, the brain is giving and the bladder are giving you too many messages, you need to go to the toilet. But often it's a, a mechanism of arousal, and so that comes down to a nervous system involvement as well. So um, just the brain not recognising that the message of the bladder filling is meant to wake you up. So it, that's mostly the case with bedwetting. With children with daytime incontinence, it can be a little bit of sensory awareness as well. So they've got the message to go to the toilet, but then they don't know what to appropriately do with that or how quickly to act upon it. Um, and then kids um, who have daytime incontinence as well it can be a fact that you know we talked about overactive pelvic floor muscles before that they're holding on so much that then when they go to the toilet they don't empty properly and so when you don't empty properly that can make you need to go more often as well so it increases their frequency and urgency yeah. I hear uh, frequent advice uh, for children that have let's just say bed readings or nighttime yeah. uh, accidents um, you know mums will come in and they'll say oh well we stop you know they're not drinking from four o'clock in the afternoon and they're still wet so there's obviously not a lot of urine in there however the concentration of the urine um, is a bit of an issue what's your take on that absolutely i totally agree so um, a bladder full of highly concentrated urine is actually very irritating to the inside lining or what we call the mucosa of the bladder and so there is evidence to show that fluid restricting in whether it's children or adults actually doesn't work very effectively um, obviously excessive drinking prior to going to bed is not good but realistically if children are thirsty they need to drink um, and dehydrating them doesn't work in, no. in managing bedwetting or daytime incontinence and it can actually make it worse yeah what, what would you be but well, sorry what would be your advice is to say we have an average five-year-old uh, they go to daycare they come home uh, how late their normal bedtime is 7 30 how late should they drink? Would you be quite happy for them to have a couple of glasses of water with dinner? Yeah, 
So um, glass of water, normal fluid intake, 200 to 250 mils at dinner time is fine. Um, and then if they're brushing their teeth at 7, 7.30 and they want to have a sip, that's fine. But yeah, other than that, they, they should definitely try and look more at trying to space out the fluid during the day so that the blood is not getting this big, huge amount of fluid um, all in one go that it can't manage. It's more important that it's smaller drinks more regularly throughout the day for the bladder to be able to manage that. And then that will then help with no dehydration during the, the day. And do you have a particular opinion about the bedtime as mum and dad goes, sorry, the, the toilet visit before mum and dad goes to, to bed? So I always encourage children themselves to go to bed before, uh, sorry, go to the toilet before bed, but there's no evidence that the parents waking them up and getting them to go to the toilet actually helps because it's not the child's arousal mechanism that's done that, it's the parents. Um, so that technique is actually called lifting um, and we tend not to encourage it because we haven't actually addressed what the issue is, which may be bladder capacity or it may be the arousal mechanism. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I know you uh, talk about the connection that we have between function of the bladder and the bowel. And the bowel. Can yeah. you tell me a bit about that? So especially in if we use the example of children who are bedwetters, it's not uncommon to find that they're actually constipated as well. So the close proximity of the bladder and the bowel sitting in the pelvis means that they can affect each other, um, especially if there's an issue of constipation. But they also have a very similar nerve supply. So if the nerve is, is more active, active and irritated with the bladder it means that it can be doing the same thing with the bowel so I always call them the angry brother and sister so if one's not happy often the other one's not happy as well and they can irritate each other like a brother and sister as well so we look very closely even if patients come in with bladder issues we ask them many questions about their bowel function as well and it's not uncommon to find people are constipated whether it's children or adults. Right. What would you suggest to, uh, let's just say, it's a family with a that five-year-old? Yeah. Yes. Ooh, we just realised that could potentially be some some constipation. What would you advise be for them? So what we would typically typically do is get them to do a fibre diary, and then what we do is calculate our, from the numbers they've given us um, how much fibre they're getting to what's considered normal for that age category, um, and then make some suggestions with regards to food changes or fibre they may be able to take but it's really important if you have high fiber you also need enough fluid um, because you need the fluid to soften the fiber so it's a balancing act between having the right fiber and having the right fluid but similarly we know that the gut and the bowel needs movement so if this is a sedentary child then we're wanting them to do lots of physical activity and we know that swimming can actually be helpful in some children who have bowel issues because the turbulence from the water on the abdomen can stimulate um, some bowel motions as well so it's kind of more than just food it's what they're doing in their life it's how they're sitting how they sit on the toilet um, so there's many things to consider definitely uh, and given uh, what is it less than one percent of um, the population get enough fruit and vegetable uh, yes. in their diet that uh, a bit of an eye-opener uh, you mentioned um, when we spoke about this earlier you mentioned that certain fruits are really high fiber bottoms what, yep. what, what is the you know bang for your buck type so the, the real bang for your buck food is actually passion fruit. Um, so two passion fruit has over five grams of fiber. And so for those patients who are worried about having to in, 
increase what they're eating or they're worried about their calorie content passion fruit's great because you don't have to eat a huge volume of it with a whole huge amount of calories to get a big bang for your buck in terms of fiber but the other good things are in terms of fiber generally speaking if you eat something that has the skin on it it's much better so for example a pear if it's not peeled is about 4.6 grams of fiber as opposed to a banana where you peel and don't eat the skin is about 1.8 grams of fiber yeah and the kids will often go for the sweet one the banana which yes. is yeah uh, <laughs> probably helps to uh, yeah uh, increase the constipation anyway yes yeah. yes uh, okay so let's go back to the mums with um uh, let's just say we've, we've got i don't know a 10 year old or something so uh, i think often we uh, as mums we expect that things aren't perfect for a little while after having given birth yep. uh, vaginally um, what what would your take be on a, on a mum that comes in that says okay well you know this is it uh, I'm starting to get back to some exercise and um, I'm having accidents what, what would your run be with, with a lady like that yeah so we ask them a lot of questions about in what instances are they potentially leaking because then we know that they're the things we need to target obviously ask them what their goals are so do they want to get back to running versus boot camp versus yoga because they all have different physical requirements um, we will do some charting again of how often they're going to the toilet um, and what they're drinking and compare that to normal and then we'll usually always do an internal assessment with them to assess how their pelvic floor is working based on what I said before on those strength ratings and how coordinated it is so does it work when it should and does it work properly and does it relax fully and then from there we get a baseline to then set up an exercise program and generally speaking we move from sort of simple exercises to more complex exercises that involve movement and those activities that they're specifically having trouble with so we try and make it very specific and individualized to what they're doing but generally speaking even if women have had this problem for years if the muscles are working which means the nerve is intact with a good well-structured strengthening program it does show that you can improve muscle strength and then usually improve symptoms as well yeah and do you have a particular percentage of success rate um, I, I think I could only mention that anecdotally for our practice, but we do have a high success rate. Um, there is a statistic that in the case of mild stress incontinence, which is the one with coughing and sneezing, there's actually an 84% cure rate um, for someone who's seen a continence and pelvic floor physiotherapist. Yeah, that's wonderful. It is, yeah. it is. So it's really not, we don't have the excuse to say oh, it's just too hard, it's, it, I'm getting older anyway. We, we really have no excuse. Correct, and I think a lot of women think it's just a natural part of ageing or having children, but if we remember the statistic of one in three women wet themselves, the flip side of that is two out of three don't. Yes. So it's actually not normal. And so therefore, women shouldn't put up with this. They really should look at what their options are in trying to improve their condition. Um, because in a lot of cases, it can be significantly affecting their ability to exercise and, and have the life they really want to have. Yeah. And how much effort does it require? Like, is it, is it one of those, you're exercising at the gym and then you go home, you do another four hours of pelvic floor exercise? No, it's very simple. So we 
we usually only designate one set of exercises that, or one episode of exercises that need to be done, which usually take under five minutes per day. And then we usually give you some exercises that you implement into your daily activities. Um, so you might need to tighten when you lift or you might need to tighten when you cough, that type of thing. So we understand that exercise can be burdensome and that for some people they're not exercises either. Um, so taking on this is, is a big challenge. So we really do try and build it into your lifestyle. But no, it's, it is something you need to do every day um, at the beginning of the program. But once we're getting you close to or where you want it to be with goals and we get you on a maintenance program that might only be three to five times a week. And five minutes a day. Yeah, it's not much. (laughs) And uh, so uh, explain to me, uh, we we talked about before, you know, how sometimes, you know, you have good times at work and bad times at work. Can you come up with a a particular experience that you you think of as particularly funny or or interesting that is worth sharing with our people that's listening? So I think, you know, this is a very taboo subject. So trying to find a a funny situation is, is difficult. But I think the biggest thing is the misconception of the word pelvic floor so you know we get patients come in and they go oh you know love if you're going to give me exercises where I have to get on the floor it's just you know I just can't do that (laughs) so they think they have to do their exercises on the floor because they're pelvic floor exercises so you know we sort of usually have to get that misconception (laughs) sorted out so I think I usually have a little chuckle to myself um, when patients say that because you know it there's you know there's many ways around this and you don't we very rarely do exercises for the pelvic floor on well, the floor actually I was good that. I quite like on the floor for the while. Yes. <laughs> yeah no there's much more efficient ways to work your pelvic floor muscles than being on the floor oh okay uh, and just as a, a, a finishing up here Anything uh, that you could tell our listeners, uh, like a piece of advice that might be worth, maybe not so much to fix what they may have because they probably need some some professional help, but even if it's more for prevention? So um, probably my five top tips are um, that um, you look at your fluid intake. So making sure you're drinking one and a half to two litres of fluid per day, preferably water dominant. Um, for patients who are experiencing urgency, especially, my second tip is reduce your caffeine. Um, caffeine is a diuretic. It drives the system to want to go to the toilet. So, so that's one thing. The third thing is to make sure that when you're actually on the toilet, you're not straining um, because straining is one of the leading causes of prolapse. Um, so that will help to prevent that or to pre- prevent a current prolapse getting worse. Um, I think the other thing is a diet that's high in fibre. So the Australian guidelines are about 30 grams per day. Um, That will help with stool motions. We talked about the angry bladder and bowel, the brother and sister. Um, So getting that under control. And I think the other thing is that when you're doing a wee, don't try stopping the flow. (laughs) You know, there's no need to do it. It's not an exercise we recommend. Um, And in some people, um, there is some question as to whether or not it can actually cause urinary tract infections. Mm -hmm. So I think they're kind of my five top tips of things that are not that hard to change but can make a difference. Oh, that's fantastic. And if people are thinking, okay, well, that's great advice, but I might need a little bit more, how, how can they get a hold of you? 
If they're not sure whether or not they've got a problem, they can actually go to Complete Pelvic Floor Physiotherapy website, which is www.cpfp.com.au or www.completepelvicfloorphysiotherapy.com.au. And if you go into the women's section, down the bottom there's actually a continent screening survey they can do. Oh, great. So they can add simple yes-no answer questions. Um, the main thing is if you answer yes to any of the questions, it usually means you require an assessment. Um, but if you are definitely um, have any symptoms of leakage from the bladder or bowel, you've got those symptoms of prolapse like dragging and heaviness, or you're having trouble emptying your bowels or bladder completely, or you're having pain with intercourse, for instance, then usually we do, re- you know, recommend that an assessment would be appropriate. And you know, to get hold of us, you don't need a referral from your doctor. Um, you can come and see us directly, and um, the initial assessment takes about an hour we have four dedicated pelvic floor physiotherapists um, at our two locations at Katara and Rathmines and um, after the assessment you know we then discuss with the person the proposed treatment plan and and make appointments from then on Um, so it's easy to get hold of us you can just call us on our telephone number which is 49751311 and uh, talk to the receptionists and, and make an appointment from there. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time, Riley. You're welcome. Thank you. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the opinion of Family Chiropractic or the host. Brought to you by Family Chiropractic Centre, Charlestown. Serving the families in Newcastle, Lake Macquarie and Charlestown.